Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to give you a quick update on the most perfect mask. I designed and created a breathable, comfortable, non-medical mask to get us all through 2020. Right now, I'm fully stocked in three beautiful fall colors, black, gray, and burgundy. Get it by going to impactfashionnyc.com and selecting mask from the main menu. Those of you who follow me on Instagram at impact.fashion.myc know that production on my newest design is fully underway. It's called the origami dress, and it's a one-size-fits-all dress that is not a shapeless tent. I repeat, not a shapeless tent. The reaction has been incredible, and I cannot wait for you to get your hands on it. The pre-order will hopefully be opening the end of this week. If you'd like to be among the first to know, all you have to do is sign up by clicking the link in the show notes. As a thank you, I'll send you a little packet on the secrets your tailor won't tell you. Again, the link to get that is in the show notes, which you can access by swiping up on the cover art. Thanks for all your support and enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with a dear friend about the unusual childhood you get when your dad is falsely accused of treason, how the experience of being followed by the FBI for years shaped her, and how she went on to build her own company. Nahami Tenenbaum and I were in a car together, and I have no idea how it came up in conversation, but she said, you know my dad was accused of spying for Israel, right? I did not know, and what ensued was the most fascinating conversation. To me, this is a story about how our childhood experiences shape us, but do not ultimately define who we are. I was, so I'm the oldest of three brothers, I'm the only girl, so I was always like very girly, I guess you would say. Um, I was definitely like a leader personality. I don't know if it comes from being the oldest or um, or what, it, what like where it came from, but I definitely was like the type of girl who, for example, in second grade, I decided that I wanted my entire class, I wanted to be a teacher. So I decided that I wanted my entire class to do math problems. During lunch, they all sat there, did their math problems, and I checked it during lunch. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I also, you know, as I got older, it kind of like um, developed into more, I guess, <laughs> the healthier and um, more age appropriate, you know, sort of um, things. Like I started different uh, clubs as I got older and 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 um, Chesed, which is like kindness organizations um, to help other people in high school. Um, like community and, service type stuff. Yes, exactly. Community service. Um, and actually started a business when I was a kid. So I always had that, you know, entrepreneurial spirit in in me. What was that first business? So that was, (laughs) I, so I was, I, okay. So I guess it kind of goes with, with my cosmetic line because I was always like that a little bit of an artist. Um, And so I drew pictures and I painted art on book and papers and I created, then I laminated them. So I created bookmarks and I went around to all my neighbors selling it. I have to see some of these. <laughs> I have to find I, them. <laughs> I have to see these. Yeah, How old were is, you when you did that? Okay. So this was in first grade actually. So I was, I guess like five or six. I must see these. <laughs> and There's I felt n- bad for me because like, 
I mean, as little kids. Listen, when you pass a lemonade stand with a six-year-old standing next to it, you're buying the lemonade. And when a six-year-old shows up at your door with some bookmarks that she painted herself, you're buying a bookmark. Right. And that's happening. Them, yeah, and okay, sell them for a dollar each, which is like probably kind of expensive, to be honest. Like, just, I, for a handmade item? I just twenty think years so. ago. You know what I mean? Like, it was a dollar. Yeah, but anyway, so that was my first business. And then it was like lemonade stands and, you know, the regular. Then it just wasn't about the money. It was just about helping people, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, that was my childhood. Okay. So it's, it's interesting that you – I know that you had a little bit of an unconventional childhood because, full disclosure, we are actual real friends in real life. Yes. <laughs> and this is just us recording what we talk about every day, to be perfectly honest. Um, what did your dad do? As growing up so my dad was well he is he's a chemical engineer um and growing up I always when people would ask him what he does what here's what I was told which was that he um <laughs> he makes ambulances safer and he makes army vehicles safer for the soldiers and as I got older I realized that he actually he had security clearance and he works with on um, confidential, what's the word for it? On um, classified, classified. Thank you, classified information. Um, so when I was five, he actually crazy story. He was to put a long to make a long story short. He was accused of being a spy for Israel, falsely accused because of anti-Semitism. Wait, pause, backtrack one second. So you were told as a kid that your dad worked to make ambulances and army tanks safer. You didn't know that he worked like in the CIA, like in the military, like what? Well, <laughs> it wasn't really the CIA. Was he a spy? Like, so, <laughs> was he James so, Bond? Tell me. Right. So, okay. So here's, he works, he works for the U S government. So I guess for the military. Um, so he was hired for a few reasons. He was hired because first of all, for this particular project, because they wanted um, someone who, who spoke Hebrew um, and they wanted someone who, I guess could like correspond with with allies, you know. And so he spoke Hebrew. He he's fluent in Hebrew, and he went to Israel. And obviously, he had other qualifications, but like these were part of the you know part of the reasons why he was hired. So, um, one day he went to his office, and I'm not gonna like go into detail because I don't want to get the details, the facts wrong. Um, you can actually read his book. It's called Accused of Treason. If you want to know the full story from his perspective. Um, but basically, the same reasons that he was hired for, that's what they used against him. So they said, you speak Hebrew, you're on the phone, like, I, we, we hear you're speaking Hebrew with his kids. It was with us. He used to speak Hebrew to us. Um, he would travel to Israel a lot because obviously, you know, he's an Orthodox Jew. Israel is close to his heart, just like any other Jewish uh, person. And they actually hooked him up to a polygraph. And the guy who was doing it said to him, I've gotten other Jews to confess. I'll get you to confess as well. Wow. So he is working in this really high, high security clearance job. He's tasked with work you know he's hired because he speaks hebrew he's he's basically told work with the israeli government on whatever it is that he does that's obviously classified um and then something goes sideways something weird happens and he's accused of spying for israel now like you said we don't want to 
yeah. let me just clarify one thing. I'm not sure if he was working on a project with the Israelis. I'm not, I don't think that was the case. I think it was just like, we're allies, you know, the U.S. Right. And, and Israel. And because if it was the case, then it w- he wouldn't have been, you know, accused. Right, that would have made even less sense. Yes. Okay, so yeah. I, what I was just going to say is, like you said, we're not going to talk about the specific details of it because it's complicated. Right, um, exactly. Your dad has a book out, which I am going to link um, in the show notes if anybody wants to get that and hear the whole thing from his perspective. What I am much more interested is, like you said, you are the oldest of four siblings, what happens when something like that happens, when, when anyone is accused falsely or not? In this case, your father was basically framed. Um, but when that happens, what did that mean for you as his daughter? What did that mean for your family? Yeah, so, okay. So at first, and you know how sometimes your memories come from the fact from what people tell you. So you're yeah. kind of like, did I actually remember this? Or so I was five. So I was old enough to, to, to remember this happening. Um, my dad just like didn't come home because basically he went into hiding actually for a few days. He went into hiding because the FBI and reporters were like just trailing our family, like right when this happened and they were, the reporters were actually camped out of my house. So this part I do remember. I remember the reporters like coming home at night with my mom and I was, she was like holding my hand, holding my little brother, you know, she's actually pregnant with, with, with my second brother. Crazy. Um, and I remember like running into the house as the reporters are like coming after us with their flashing lights and, you know, the cameras and the mics and whatever. And it's like almost like slow motion in my head. You know what I mean? Like you're like running inside and they're coming after you. Um, yeah. So we locked the door. My mom, like my mom was fantastic. You know, they would, the FBI was outside my house they used to drive us they used to follow our carpool to school so they pretty much be doing carpool the fbi like in the black cars you know right um it's crazy. i'm sure that i'm sure that the carpool getting you to first grade was really very exciting for them right so <laughs> yeah so they used to like come to the back we would, we would leave throughout through the back door of my house and they would come pick us up and you know as kids like you don't really understand what's happening you just know that like they're kind of like the bad people and the reporters kind of like faded away after a few weeks. I, I, I think, you know, um, but the FBI, those, they were just like crazy trailing us for, I think it was like close to a year, if I'm not mistaken, like we like for sure six months, but I think it was closer to a year. Um, and during this whole time, your dad is still in hiding. Oh, sorry. No, no. So he came out of hiding after a few days. Okay. Um, and then he, he was suspended from his job. Um, my parents were really fantastic because they tried to make us like not know what was happening. Obviously, they could only protect us, you know, until a certain point. Um, like, for example, when the reporters would occasionally come back, my mom would close the shades and have us play in the back of the mm. house. Like, <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, we didn't know what was happening. We really didn't. We didn't, because when you're five years old, you don't know, like, why like there's a little bit of tension the, the first way that it affected our family was on Shabbos on Saturday during our meal my dad's lawyer used to work for the I guess for the prosecutor's office so he had like an in and he we heard a message on our voice message he was like panicking he called my dad but he couldn't answer the phone. He said something like, they're coming today at like noon or something. And basically we were in the middle of our meal. We had guests actually. 
Wow. And the FBI pulled up with, like, a few guys came. I think they had, they had guns. I'm not sure. But it could be, like, this is just, like, what my, like, from what, from the fear. Like, I'm saying this based out of, like, the, the memory. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely it was really scary because a few of them came in. They turned my house upside down searching for classified, for, for any information that would you know, prove that my dad was a spy. They actually ended up leaving with some of my drawings that I'd like drawn and given it to my dad as a four-year-old, as if like that's wow. like spy material. And his like Shlomo Karbach notes, because he plays a lot of instruments. So. Shlomo Karbach is a very popular right. Jewish folk singer. That's like the equivalent of someone storming into a house and grabbing your like Hall and Oates songbook right. and running out with it. That part's actually kind of funny. You, um, I also just want to say that for someone who's not familiar with a Shabbos meal, um, a during during Shabbos, Orthodox Jews will not use electricity. Will not use um, so like we'll we'll set lights on a timer and that kind of thing. Um, so when your dad's lawyer called him, he left a message, probably like on one of those old timey voice yes. message machines that like played the message out loud. Right. He knew that your dad would not be picking up the phone, um, and it's it's a very it's a really special space. The closest thing that I can think of is someone like storming into your family's Thanksgiving meal. Um, the, you know, the, uh, particularly the Shabbos meals are a very special time and having a government agency barge into that and start ripping your house apart, having a government agency do that under any circumstance, I'm sure is traumatic. Um, but having it do it particularly at that time is particularly, uh, yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be rest, like a restful time and relaxing. Right. And you know, it's funny because the entire time they were there, the head agent who was, who was there, he kept saying to turning to my dad or to whoever was around and he kept saying, I don't know why we're here. I don't know why. Like, like he knew that, right. but he had to do it obviously because it was like orders, but he, it was just ridiculous. So I can't imagine that something like this goes away quickly. So what did the next few years look like for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so once my dad, I, I don't remember my dad actually being home, but I, and I don't exactly know like how he ended up. He, he had some great, he has, he actually current, he currently has some great attorneys. So um, he got back to the office and that was his story about like what happened there. Um, but in terms of, of my life, I just remember like thinking that it that my dad is like a little bit sad, I guess, um, as a kid, you know, um, which is very understandable. He was, even when he got his job back, he was still treated with a lot of animosity and hate and people didn't want to go near him. So he was coming home, you know what I mean? And kind of, you, you need to be feel fulfilled at your job and at work. So, um, so that was hard for sure. That was hard. Um, in regards to, my own fears, I guess, and anxieties about the situation. Um, it was more of a subconscious thing. You know, as a kid, I used to get really scared of strangers. Um, when the case was going on, I would, like in the, in the, um, the peak of the case, I would like freak out when people would come to the door, especially at night. Um, I think I just had like that replay of the reporters coming after us with their flashing lights and cameras and stuff. Um, 
it's actually weird because like, sometimes like to this day I'll come home and if I can't get the combination you know like on the first try I'll be like just open up like I need to get like um but yeah I used to get really scared of strangers because it would really scare like anyone coming to my house who I didn't know um because our boundaries were invaded it just like came into you know what I mean right and then also like the entire world you have to realize knew about what was going on like my mom had to call her parents in New York and tell her by the tell them like by the way um you know David, like my husband, you know, was just accused of being a spy for Israel. Like he didn't do it, but he was accused, you know what I mean? Right. And it was all over the news. And like, you know, the fake news situation that was like next level. <laughs> like it was, so my privacy was invaded. People literally were in my home, like in my personal space, going through my stuff. So it definitely affected me because, especially when I started my own business. And, you know, the whole social media thing was really hard for me because I felt like, I guess the, the case kind of made me into a more like private person because I, I'm, I guess I had built like kind of like walls around me to protect myself sort of thing. And when I had to go kind of like become the face of my I didn't have to but it kind of like evolved and became like you know people want to see the face behind the brand so like at first my original plan was not to post myself you should know like it really was just to post other people wearing my stuff and then I was told you know you have to do this for business and I wasn't going to start hiring somebody as a new business to you know to be the face of my brand I didn't know where it was going to go you know and and also it's my, it's like my products. Like I love it. I want to be the, I want to, you know, showcase it, um, stand behind it. But it was really hard for me because I felt like I'm being forced to, to just like talk and, um, show myself, like just come in front of thousands of people and share. And it was just, it was kind of like the opposite of what I had been doing for the past, like, I don't know, 20 years since the case, you know? Right. Did, do you think, I mean, it, it makes sense to me that something like this, that having your, your personal space invaded on this level would affect how you relate to strangers, how you relate to people that you don't know. Um, even if those are strangers, like people who follow you on social media are like, they're happy to be there for the most part. I mean, some of them are crazos, but we won't talk about them. Um, <laughs> like they're, they're mostly people who are there to support you. They're mostly people who are in your corner. They're mostly people um, who, who want to see you do well. And I get how that, how, how having this whole situation would affect the way that you relate to strangers, even if they want to see you do well. Did it affect the way that you relate to people in like who you actually know in your real life? Like, did it affect the way that you related to kids in your class? That's such a good question. Um, I'm not sure because I think that I felt very safe with my class because you have to realize that I grew up in an out of town community in Detroit and I was pretty much with the same girls in my class from the time I was in nursery through 12th grade. So they were all like part of my journey and they all knew about the story. And actually, it's funny that you asked that because now that I'm thinking about it, we never even spoke about it. It wasn't even a thing that we spoke about because it happened when we were so little. We were like five or six. We were, we were five, sorry. And then it just kind of like it was what it was. You know what I mean? So I think that with my friends, 
I always just felt very safe and accepted and loved. So I never worried about it. That was like my safe place. I think that when I went to camp and when I went to seminary, which is the year of Judaic studies after high school, that a lot of religious Orthodox Jews go in Israel, I think that's when it kind of like started affecting me because I felt more just like nervous with all the well, I'm not sure like what I'm trying to say, but like I just I guess I didn't feel as comfortable. You know what I mean? Well, it's a lot of new people in both of those situations. You know, when you're you, when you're ta- when you're talking about camp, those are for the most part not people who you deal with during the year. They're people who don't know you. And the same goes for your seminary year, for your gap year. Those are for the most part new people, which is part of the fun and also part of the awfulness sometimes cuz sometimes so, people suck. Yeah, no, it's funny. I think I also realized that as much as I'm social, I'm really more of an introvert. And talk I think to that, me about this. Yeah. Talk about this. Because this is one of my favorite things to talk about. What do you mean by that? So I'll tell you what I mean. Like when people meet me, they think that I'm an extrovert, which is because I am, I guess I'm warm and I'm just friendly. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, no, you are. You are, like, both <laughs> of those, you are both of those things. <laughs> um, it's so weird talking about yourself. Again. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but, and I can make people feel comfortable. So I'm not like awkward. And I think people have this like misconceived notion that introverts are like awkward and they're not social, but it's not the case. Introvert just means that you kind of feel like refreshed and you get your energy from, from being alone. You know what I mean? I know exactly and, what you mean, and, and I'm like so you, glad that you described it that yeah, way. Yeah, and you prefer one-on-one interactions versus like a huge, like I right. love, like you remember when we had that fashion event, and yes. which was very enjoyable, I had a great time, and but after the best part, besides for the point that like I love, I love hanging out with you, when we went out to dinner, that was the best part of the night, because right. it was just me and you, like right. we didn't need like. <laughs> exactly, it was you and me and a giant pile of burgers and fries, and it was fantastic, and we sat there for, I, I don't know, like till it got ridiculously late we sat there for a long time like, yeah like, but no that part it was just really nice to be with you and like and and that's what I enjoy like being with people who I actually love and care about and I just want to you know spend time with more so than big parties and I think that that's what people so I think kind of I learned that I was more of an introvert in seminary really more so than camp because camp um I definitely like I mean, I had my close friends in both, but like looking back, I just, I think that because camp is more, I guess it's, um, what's the word for it? It's more um, intimate because you're in like a bunk with like a few, like up to 12 girls or whatever it is. So where I seminar, all of a sudden I'm thrust into, you know, there's like 104 girls in a huge room and we're just ending classes of like 35 each. And that's a lot for, for an introvert. Right. Um, my friends are going to text me and they're going to be like, you are not an introvert. I'm like, I am an introvert. (laughs) (laughs) I get the same thing all the time. Also, I'm exactly the same way. I get my energy from being alone. I'm good in a crowd. I'm good with people. I'm personable. I think, but I don't like after I go to an event where, you know, where you have to work the room or whatever it is, I am drained. Yes, I am same, so same. drained afterwards. And I think that it comes from this misconception that the introvert is like sad girl in the corner who just wants to read a book. And don't get me wrong, I would love to be sitting in a corner reading a book <laughs> most of the time. But that's not what intro- that's not what it looks like. It's not what you know. It's someone who just gets energy from being alone. Exactly. Um, as opposed to an extrovert is someone, I mean, and you can see it happen. You can see people in a crowd who get 
Like they're feeding off of that energy. They're, they're, they leave more energized. They're like, where are we going next? They just, they, they get pumped up like that. And that is just not, you know, it's, it's just not what, what, what feeds me. And it, it actually makes perfect sense to me to, that you would feel that way because when you have, you know, obviously going through what you went through, it's going to affect your interpersonal relationships. And it makes sense to me that you would crave that alone time, like just that space that is your own and that, and that other people don't touch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I feel like it's funny that you say that because as you were talking, I was just thinking that another way that it's affected me is I think that my boundaries are a little bit like more, I don't know if I would say stronger or just, yeah, I guess, is there another word for it? Like just that like, for example, when it comes to dating and stuff, and I feel like people are stepping over, crossing a line, or because you know how it is, like, in our circles, very often we're set up. Not always. Sometimes you find your own guy, but very often we're set up. So um, sometimes people will, I feel like they're crossing a line by telling me what to do or trying to push a guy on me or whatever it is. And that makes me I kind of feel like very repulsed by that and I wanna and and I wonder sometimes if it's because of my years of formation which was like during this case when I felt like my boundaries were being crossed like or being invaded on I'm sorry we're being invaded on like all the time and you know what I mean like especially because and and we had a lot of people who were trying to help for sure and being really good friends and they, they would, like our neighbors would even you know one of our neighbors decided to start following the fbi cars because he was getting annoyed <laughs> that they were following us and like they got mad at him and it was just like so funny because like when you come from a community that loves you and cares about you so much and sometimes you know they it could be a little bit too much in your business, but no, that, that was great. But I'm just saying like in general, you know what I mean? Like, like knowing everything and the way that I always describe growing up Orthodox to people who are not familiar with it was like, imagine every small town that you've heard about in country songs, where there's like <laughs> these tiny towns with a hundred people in it or however many. And like, if you break up with one girl, then everybody knows. And now she can never drive past your house. Like all of that. That is exactly what it's like to grow up Orthodox. Doesn't matter if we live in huge cities like New York, like Detroit, like in these big metropolitan areas. For all intents and purposes, we grew up in a small town in a country song. And yeah, the totally. fact that your neighbors followed the FBI car makes perfect sense to me. And that's fantastic. It was totally, it was totally fantastic. Yeah. And yeah, so I just think that, you know, that that was the positive aspect of it. Um, and then sometimes, you know, when people care so much, they kind of overstep boundaries sometimes you know right so I think that's kind of um and then even the news and stuff everybody was like overstepping my boundaries so I think I kind of just kind of like um built myself a little bit of a wall and was like no no no, asking too much pushing too much like that's not it's not great that's that's not something that I stand for yeah I gotta say as far as like outcomes go from crazy childhood experiences that's a pretty healthy one the outcome was I set really good boundaries and I don't tolerate if you mess with them. Like that's, that's pretty. Yeah. But sometimes there are like different, you know, you could go from, they're different extremes. So having boundaries that are just like totally open and whatever, that's not great. You know, no boundaries, but then also sometimes having too much, is also not great. Cause then you can't get, 
so I've, I've gotten help with this, obviously, like after the case and whatever. Um, but, and, and I've learned how to, I mean, it was a traumatic experience, you know what I'm saying? So I've, I've learned how to um, relax my boundaries when people actually do care about me and do love me, which is why I have such great, rich friendships, thank God. And I'm able to connect with people. It's not like, I don't want to make myself sound like I can't, you know what I mean? <laughs> As someone who is the beneficiary of one of those great, rich friendships, I will say, yes, that is all very true. <laughs> that is all <laughs> very true. And, um, just so that people get a scope of, of what this was, um, how long did the case go on for? Like, how long was it from when your dad was accused to when he was acquitted? Okay, so that's a great question. I'm not exactly sure when they said that, when the government said, okay, we were wrong. We, like, you're not a spy. <laughs> you know, you're on our side. Thanks for clarifying. Um, right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the truth is, Rifki, that it's still kind of going on because my dad never got any retribution and he was never promoted after that. Like, he was on his way to getting, like, wow going far in the government and he just wasn't because of anti-semitism yeah it was just crazy he's so intelligent they actually stopped one of his programs that could have saved tons of soldiers in iraq and wherever they are afghanistan i don't know wherever they are um and they stopped it because of the case and it's just it's so sad you know what I mean? Because it's he, if you know my dad, like you'll know that he is such a straight person. He does not do anything without asking anybody. Like when it comes to religious stuff, he calls rabbis. When it comes to um, got legal stuff, he calls his lawyers. Like he's always been like that. So the fact that they chose to accuse him out of all people is just laughable. You know? Right. Right. Um, yeah. That I mean, honestly, it's it's crazy when you think of you know something like this that happened. 20 years ago, um, where, you know, a superior just decided that he didn't like him, that he was Jewish and decided to basically ruin his career is, is kind of crazy. I want to switch gears a little bit. Sure. Um, you and I know each other cause you, my darling own a makeup company called Carmela. So yes. tell me about that. how that <laughs> So I actually thought of the idea. It's funny. Cause one of my best friends tells me that in high school, I told her that one day I'm going to have my own makeup line. I have no recollection of ever saying that, but that's cool. <laughs> but Good basically, job. yeah. So pretty much like to, to sum it up when I was in between my undergrad and grad school, I actually have an MBA in marketing, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do at that point. And I decided to go to makeup school. Um, I was always a huge fan of makeup. I, you know, it's, it's interesting because probably part of like my childhood when the whole case was going on, I think I kind of like went to my mom's, like I found something that was very, um, that kind of like took me into my own element and like was, I felt safe. So I would go into her makeup kit and I would, you know, wear her green eyeshadow and like red lipstick, which did not match obviously. And, you know, like as a kid. Um, and then, so when my grandmother was actually, so once I graduated with my undergrad, when I was trying to figure out what to do, my grandmother, who's an artist, my mama's mom was here visiting us and she had a question about makeup and I, um, took out my makeup book that I had bought years earlier as someone gave me a Barnes and Noble gift card for my bat mitzvah. And I went and bought like, what else is a 12 year old going to buy? So I bought a makeup book. Um, and I was showing her and offering her tips and whatever. And she's like, you're so, you're, you're so into makeup. 
you clearly love it. It's a passion of yours. Why don't you just go to makeup school? So I went to makeup school and I went to Multimedia Makeup Academy here in Michigan. Um, and I realized that there was a lack of high-end natural makeup in the market, that there was really a need for it. Um, you know, makeup that looks good, felt good, performs well, stayed on, you know, all those all those great things without having like toxins and bad chemicals. So throughout grad school, I was working on it, do my research. And then once I graduated, I launched. So what exactly is a natural makeup and why should I care? <laughs> no, seriously. So, like I always see on, on, um, on products where it says like no parabens, no sulfates, no whatever else things. And I'm like, I don't so know funny. what those things are or why I should even, so basically they're different ingredients, which like what like parabens, as you said, and sulfates and all those things. Um, they all have side of potential. I'm gonna say potential side effects. Um some of them are carcinogenic, some of them they've been um like correlated. That's the word. They've been correlated with different um diseases, different um can like um liver problems, different issues in the body so you obviously like no none of us want to take chances with chemicals that could potentially have these side effects you know what I mean it's better to be safe than sorry so obviously so what I did was I worked with the lab that made sure not to put all these chemicals in so we started with lipsticks we have a lipstick line right now um and we created a formula I went back and forth for almost a year um I sent them a whole list of ingredients I didn't want in the lipsticks and told them like what I wanted the performance to be like. We had this back and forth um, until I approved it. And yeah, I have to say we, we, we've done pretty well. That's, that's yeah. fantastic. And I have to say that as someone who basically never wears lipstick because it always just feels gross and it gets like, I have very dry lips naturally. So putting on, especially a long lasting lipstick that just like ends up pulling off huge chunks of my lips and <laughs> And then, like, it looks splotchy and it's just not cute. Um, your lipsticks are the only ones that I can wear for any appreciable amount of time. And the colors are fantastic. They're, they're just really, really great. So, um, also, a lot of people think your name is Carmela. Right. And it's not. So, <laughs> where, so did, where did Carmela come from? Yeah. So, it came from, okay, so, because my original branding was going to be all about the natural aspect of the lipsticks, um, we've, we've now, like, veered into... Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But basically, um, kerem in Hebrew means vineyard. And vineyards remind me of nature. You know, when you, whenever you see pictures, it's like nature, natural stuff. So I did like a little bit of a twist on the name kerem. And I switched it to Carmela because it sounds more universal. People could relate to it. It could be Italian for all you know. You know what I'm saying? So I wanted to sound more feminine. And yeah, so I chose the name. It's a Carmella. fantastic name, and I want to talk. I want to hear about that pivot that you that you mentioned, kind of as an aside. What made you real? Like what you said, you were originally going to focus more on the natural aspect. What do you focus more on now? So now we really focus on the women empowerment and helping women. About three months after we launched, I arranged a photo shoot with a photographer here in Michigan, and. At that point, it was our it was our first real photo shoot, um, and 
what, what I did was I called my makeup school. We were still, we were, we were a startup and I called my makeup school and I asked them if they have any good makeup artists who could um, help us out and do a collaboration and um, do the makeup for this photo shoot. So they found me somebody and I asked her if she, and, and what I wanted was I wanted to have just for the first photo shoot, one white model and one black model. And I asked her if she knew any white models because I had, I have a very close friend who's black and I wanted her to model for me. So she's like, yeah, sure. So basically I was so like all over the place. It was a very hectic time. It was the high holidays time. And I ended up crazy Ripke, but basically I didn't even see a picture of the white model. I had no idea who was going to model for me. And the day before the shoot, I texted this, this makeup artist and I was like, oh, could I see a picture of, of the model who you found for me? So she sends me a picture of a woman who was wearing a hijab. So she was clearly Muslim, right? And I'm Orthodox Jew. Um, and it was very interesting. So, okay. So my first, my first um, thought that went through my head was, I need hair. Like it's a, but I'm also an Orthodox Jew. So I understand that religious Muslims have to cover their hair, you know? So I said to the makeup artist, I was like, does she, but also I wasn't sure like how religious she was. And I was like, is she planning on wearing the hijab during the shoot? And she's like, yeah, I mean, I think so. She has to. I was like, okay. So that moment I was like, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to step in. I'm going to be the quote unquote white model. I'm not actually white, you know, Jewish, whatever, but (laughs) Um, yeah, I was like, she'll be the Muslim model. And my friend will be the black model and we're going to show how our brand is universal and inclusive. And we truly stand, stand behind this. So that's really when it came to me, I was like, we're going to pivot into this, this like inclusivity. And it felt so right to me. It felt because that's, that's the home I grew up in, you know, throughout my childhood, we always had tons of guests and all different types of people coming through, you know, um, and, and I wanted to showcase that. So that's when it really started. And then after that, we teamed up with a few nonprofits, which we donate 10% of our profits to. Um, all the, the, so it's four nonprofits that all are all about helping women, um, eating disorders, endometriosis, you know, hair loss, breast cancer. So um, it just became about women empowerment and, and inclusivity and loving all women regardless of race age ethnicity skin color etc um and yeah i mean we still talk about the natural aspect of it but it's really about the emotional side of the brand and i have to say that you do a really great job of well i mean it's maybe it's a little bit different for me because i know that like you don't just say these things you actually mean them um and (laughs) that this is actually the kind of person that you are because there are plenty of brands out there that you know quote do good but don't but are not run by nice people. Um, but I digress. The um, the thing that really comes across is the fact that you really stand behind not just the organizations that you support and that you've teamed up with, you know, and I love the way that you do it also is that you divided your lipsticks into colors and yes. then and then matched up the colors with different organizations so your pink collection gets donated to the breast count uh the breast cancer foundation and um stuff like that you also do it in, you also bring out women's stories in some really tangible ways and one of the new ways that you're doing that is through your podcast called we are women and talk to me about that how did that get off the ground 
Yeah, that's super exciting. And thank you so much for all your help with that, by the way. Anytime. <laughs> um, so, okay. Yeah, it's a great question. So basically a little over a year ago, I started getting messages from our followers thanking me for talking about women's issues, women's conditions, and asking me if we could also talk about other things besides further organizations that we donate to because we were really focused on breast cancer, endo, um, eating disorders, and hair loss, as, as we mentioned before. So I was trying to think of a good platform to do that because, of course, I wanted to you know, bring awareness to other conditions um, and topics relating to women. So I thought of, so we, what we did was we had an IGTV series that I had a few friends and influencers come on and discuss different things that they struggled with, have, have overcome, um, or just conditions that, that they've been through. So basically the one caveat, the one caveat to that was that basically it wasn't a conversation. It was just, they were standing there talking, like selfie videoing themselves, which was fantastic. Um, and it definitely helped a lot of people. However, it wasn't a conversation where we'd go back and forth. So it was a little harder for them. It was a little more challenging for them to, to talk. And it was a little more challenging, um, I guess, for me to get, ask them and send them all the information that needed covered. All, you know what I mean? Um, so, I thought of doing a podcast. Let me plug this. It took over a year. <laughs> I decided it takes time, time to pull these things together. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of like put it, put the idea like to the wayside. But then I, during Corona, I feel like everybody has like a Corona story. <laughs> um, yeah. So during Corona, I decided that it was time. I just felt it in my gut, like it was time to do it. So I, yeah, I started my research. I spoke to you, and. Um, a lot of Google and YouTube, and I started putting feelers out there, and people were really interested in this. So, yeah, so it, it's just it's really exciting. Um, we've been getting some great feedback, and yeah, we say that. So our tagline is where women speak their truth and celebrate their victories because it's not all about issues necessarily. I mean, we're focusing on conditions affecting women for sure, but it's also about just conversations with anything that has to do with being a woman. Yeah, that's awesome. And I have to say you are a fantastic interviewer. Um, at the time that we're recording this, you have one episode out with Diana two. Falzone and she's telling two, I missed one last week, last night, <laughs> last night. Oh, it's Thursday. I didn't get a chance to listen to it. Sorry. Sorry. I'm exhausted girl. Okay. At the time that we're recording this, there are already two episodes out. Um, the podcast is called We Are Women. You can find it by searching for Carmela Cosmetics wherever you're listening to this right now. Um, and it's it's a really, really great show. I had a chance to listen to the episode with Diana Falzone, and she talks about um, her endo story. And it's a fantastic interview, by the way. Just the way that she... First of all, the, what she had to go through is absolutely ridiculous. And the fact that you can't get a normal diagnosis for endometriosis, like the, the fact that the average time it takes to get diagnosed with that is 10 years is absolutely ludicrous, but we're going to put that aside yeah. for a second. <laughs> um, the way that she carries herself and the way that she handles herself um, with everything that she went through is really, really special. And, uh, and you did a great job, um, you know, kind of guiding her through that story. So good job. Thank you. Yeah, she's fantastic. She's so eloquent and she's just, yeah, I mean, what she shared, she was so vulnerable and just shared like her truth and her faith, which got her through it, which was incredible and inspiring. 
Yeah, it's it's a really great show. So yeah, definitely check out We Are Women. It's from Carmelo Cosmetics, and you can get it wherever you're listening to this right now. If somebody wants to learn more about you, Nahami, where can they go? Um, so besides for the podcast, they can follow me on Instagram at Carmela Cosmetics. That's Carmela with a K. <laughs> um, and also my personal account is open if, if, if you're interested. It's at Nechami T, N-E-C-H-A-M-I-T. That's awesome. Yeah. And the last thing that I want to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes on the show, and that is to you, Nechami Tenenbaum, what does it mean to make an impact? So to me, making an impact means inspiring and empowering women and girls to know their value, uh, reach for their dreams, no matter what anyone tells them, and also to continue spreading awareness of conditions and really anything that can affect, that can affect them. I like it. Thank you so much for coming on today, Nakami. I really <laughs> Thanks appreciate for it. Me, Rippy. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Nahami, all of her links are in the show notes, along with any other items we mentioned in our conversation. There you'll also find links to the most comfortable mask and at-home activities perfect for quarantine, some of which are free, all of which are high fashion. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art or going to impactfashionnyc.com. To hear more episodes, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating. They make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.